Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning on this uh, Sunday morning. I uh, hope you're doing well. Hope your family's good and um, everyone's doing doing great. I am out of town this weekend uh, to Buffalo. My friend George, uh, his family, his mom passed away. And so I'm in Buffalo, uh, maybe with some of you, hopefully. And uh, so I'm going to take a little step away from 1 John, and we'll come back to that next week. And I want to share with you a little message out of Romans chapter 1 that um, I want to look at. We studied this Wednesday night. I wanted to share with you uh, the, the first part of chapter 1. We'll go as far as we can, and then we'll cut it off. Uh, but Romans chapter 1, such a great passage of Scripture. You think of Rome, if you've ever been there. I got to go there one time, and uh, what a cool history place that is. So much history, so many, many, many years of, of history. We don't have that in our country. We're, you know, we're just, uh, you know, a couple hundred years old. Uh, but in, uh, in Rome, thousands of years old. And so the history is just incredible there. Um, and so uh, I just want to share with you uh, this letter, uh, this first chapter of this letter that Paul writes to the Romans uh, and uh, kind of what's going on there and, and, and pull some stuff out of there that's really, really good for us as believers. So I want to read the first 17 verses and then we'll get into this. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, 
first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. A little bit of background about Rome, what's going on there. It's a major city, Rome, powerful military all kinds of commerce coming and going through Rome, lots of cults, lots of Greek mythology in Rome. The government is established and powerful. There's a lot of wealth in Rome, and there's a lot of uh, sin in, well, in Rome. Lots of sin, which we get the statement, when in Rome, right? When in Rome, do as the Romans do. That's, that's usually not good stuff. And a lot of in that sin, a lot of sexual immorality, lots of sexual immorality, all kinds of sexual sin going on all over the place. It reminds me uh, a lot of our country right now and the world as it is today. And in chapter one, we read the first 17 verses, but if you read the second half of the chapter, which we will not get to today, you will see the kind of sexual immorality I'm talking about, that Paul is talking about. This sexual immorality that anything goes with anything and anyone. Disgusting, completely against God's will for mankind, evil, sinful, and not the kind of lifestyle God has called us to live. So Paul is writing just before Nero. The Nero becomes emperor a, late, a little bit later after Paul writes this letter. And, and Nero is a bad dude. He is not a good emperor. He is going to persecute Christians like to the fullest extent. He's going to burn them at the stake. He's going to use Christians to light up his garden as he ties them to stakes and burns them at the stake so that he can look out at night into his big garden area and so christians are going to be burned at the stake and stoned and cut in half and, and persecuted greatly under nero in rome soon rome and the emperor did not care who you worshipped as long as you also worshipped the emperor you worship the emperor and any other god you want, you're good. Polytheism. They were into polytheism. If you worship many gods and the emperor is one of them, you're good to go. But if you only worship one god, you're a monotheistic. Like a Christian is. One god, only God, only through Jesus. Or you're a Jew, only through Yahweh, God. If you're monotheistic, you are going to be persecuted in Rome. It's not going to go well for you there. In Rome, there are a lot of house churches. A lot of Christian groups are gathering. The church has been spread there. We're not sure how it got there. Paul did not establish these churches. He did in other places, but not these. But there's many churches, and Paul has heard good things about them. Lots of information has come back to Paul over the years about these churches. And he's wanted to get to them and go visit them, but he just hasn't been able to. In fact, in this letter, in Romans, this letter, he names 26 different people who belong to the churches in Rome. And he even uh, refers to some of them as the, 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 the church that meets at your house. That is, just, that is just unbelievable. I mean, think about that. If, if you were the, the, the person today and you 
regularly meet with Christians at your home like every week. Like you bring them in, you invite them over, you guys all get together, you have a Bible study together, or you worship together, you watch church together, and there's a group of you. Not just your own, you know, family, people, but, but others as well. This is like a house church. And that's what Paul's writing to a bunch of these like house churches of Christians that are meeting all over Rome. Christian people who love Jesus, Gentiles, Jews, all converted to Christianity and they love Christ. And Paul is going to write to these house churches. It seems though, it seems pretty clear Paul has not been to Rome. Uh, at least during the church age, he has not gone there and visited these churches. That seems clear. But he, and he's going to go as a prisoner later on. So he's going to get to Rome, but not free. The letter is doctrinally focused, and it is very practical. In this letter, we're going to see about God. The gospel is all over the place, and salvation is all the road of salvation. You might have heard of the Roman road. That's how, in this letter, Paul's going to lay out uh, how, how people need to hear the gospel, that people need to go and share the gospel, that we must believe in, the, in, in Jesus, we must confess Jesus, repentance, baptism, all the things that make up our response to the gospel of God in Christ are in this letter throughout it. And so it's very heavy on salvation through Jesus, the gospel. So let's go. Verses uh, one, one, two, three, and four here. Verse one says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel that he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Stop right there. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. So in, in one verse, in this very first verse, what we see here is that the letter is from Paul. Paul. Paul is, is the one who is, it's his heart, it's his thoughts, it's God using Paul and his message to these people, but it's also clear that it's not Paul who's actually writing the letter. Uh, if you look at the end of the letter, chapter 16, verse 22, it's a guy by the name of Tertullus who actually pens the letter. He's like a scribe, Paul's talking to him, and he's writing down what Paul wants said. Everything that Paul is for God is right here in this verse. Paul says, I am a servant, I am an apostle, and I am one who is set apart. Three things that Paul defines himself as in his relationship to Jesus. Okay, In, in this one verse, the first verse of the book of Romans, Paul, Paul nails himself. And look at the words he uses. He says, a servant. That means a slave. He refers to himself as a slave to Jesus. A bond servant of Christ. That's who he is in his eyes to Jesus. I do what Jesus says to do. I am not the boss. I am not over anything. I am a servant of Jesus. He is king, he is Lord, he is savior, he is boss. And when he says jump, I say how high. That's what Paul's saying about himself. That's pretty good, isn't it? 
That's how we should refer to ourselves. The Apostle Paul is referring to himself in his light of Jesus as a servant. We also should refer to ourselves as a humble servant of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle. That means one who is sent, one who is called. Paul is an apostle. Remember, Paul was Saul and he was blinded on the road. Jesus went after Paul. Paul wasn't really going after Jesus. He was going to kill Jesus's people when Jesus went after him, changed his life, turned him around, and now Paul is a servant and serving Jesus. And, and God, through Christ, has called Paul to be an apostle, one who is sent, one of the 12. Added on, <laughs> because Paul isn't the original 12. There are those 12, minus Judas, add one, and now Paul is brought in as an apostle like 13, number 13. He also refers himself, to himself as one set apart, set apart or designated for a very special purpose, which we know what that is. Paul's special purpose is to the gospel. He is going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That is what Paul is called to do. Now we can't help but see in Paul, who once was Saul, a transformation of life. And I and I and I can say without a doubt, this is what happens to a person who truly gives their life to Christ. Their life is changed completely. Their whole purpose for living is different. Paul goes from a murderer of Christians to now proclaiming Christ and being persecuted himself for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And Paul is going to share the gospel with everyone and anyone that he can, and Paul doesn't care what happens to him. That is a transformed life. He has gone from darkness to light over these years, and now Paul is a servant of Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That verse, Paul is a living example of himself. No longer conforming to the pattern of the world, but now being transformed by the renewing of his mind a transformed mind and heart and now life for Jesus. He's a living example of this. Verse two, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. God promised long ago through the prophets, you know the prophets, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all those guys, Isaiah, uh, Lamentation's not a prophet, but it's a book. Uh, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and, and, and all the minor prophets. So all those guys in the Old Testament that wrote about the coming Messiah and the times of Israel and what God was doing among his people. Paul is saying this gospel was promised through them that Jesus was coming. Jesus is going to, or the Messiah is going to come. They refer to him as the Messiah, the Savior of the world would come. They didn't name him Jesus at that time, but, but that the Messiah would come through the prophets 
And so what we have here is Paul confirming that what the prophet said is good and reliable and trustworthy. And not only what the prophet said, but it's a confirmation of the entire Old Testament. Like if somebody says, we're not sure the Old Testament is good or right or accurate or one good person sat down or no. Paul in this verse is saying the Old Testament written by many different people is the word of God, the inspired word of God that we can trust, we can rely on. It is the truth from God to mankind. Long before Jesus, the Messiah ever came to the earth that God foretold of his coming over and over. Paul says the gospel. He uses this term, the gospel, over and over and over again in this letter. It is the central heartbeat of the letter and of Paul's life, the gospel. The gospel. Paul says he is set apart for the gospel. Paul says here that the gospel was promised long ago through the prophets, the writings. The gospel. The gospel is the very good news of God's love for you and for me and the cross that Jesus would die on to save you and me from our sin. This is the heart of the gospel. That Christ came, lived, died, was buried, and rose again to save man from our sin. This is the gospel. Mankind's only hope, mankind's only rescue, and our only salvation. The gospel is Paul's main focus for his writings. The gospel. Look at verse 3 and 4. Paul says, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life, a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness appointed the son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The central figure of the gospel, this message of grace and mercy, is Jesus Jesus, the person of Jesus, the Son of God. He is what the gospel is all about. Fully man, look what he says, fully man, a seed of David, the lineage on earth, a, an earthly lineage through David, the King David, and goes all the way back, all the way to Abraham, a descendant here on earth, a descendant lineage on earth through Joseph. His, his earthly father. And then it says that he is fully God. He's fully man and he's fully God, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed or came to be here on this earth. We have the gospel of God, who is the father. We have the savior who came, the son, and we have the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit. So what we have here is the Holy Trinity, all an active part of this gospel from God to mankind. The Holy Trinity is working in this, this rescue mission for you and for me, that God would send his son Jesus to die for my sins. The fully man, fully God son displayed supernatural power. This is the proof of who he is. The resurrection from the dead. 
This is the power that he demonstrated and displayed, the resurrection power of Jesus, not only proving who he is, but proof of what he is capable of doing and, and his power and his authority. Ending death. Jesus ending the ending. The end of life for you and me was the sting of death because at death we would leave earth and we would enter into eternity separated by, from God because of our sin. Jesus came and he blows the back out of the grave, the tomb, and so now we can pass through death back into life through our faith and our relationship with Jesus who conquered the grave. Jesus ended the ending for those who put their faith and trust in him. Not just the resurrection from the dead, look what it says, not just the resurrection from the dead, but the resurrection of the dead. That's a totally different statement. Not just did Jesus resurrect for himself, but his resurrection is for all of mankind. It's for all of humanity. Every one of us can now benefit from his death and resurrection, just like sin entered the world through Adam, grace, truth, and resurrection power enters the world through Jesus, one man. Jesus, fully God. Jesus, fully man. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says it like this. Beyond all question... The mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh. Jesus appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. That sums up the Messiah, the life of Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Man's only hope, our only hope to get out of this place alive. Verses 5 to 7. Through him we receive grace and apostleship. So Paul's saying through Jesus, we, him and the other apostles that, that, are, that have done the writings of the New Testament books, we have received grace and apostleship to do this, to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Stop right there. Here we are brought in. See, it was just the Jews. It was God's chosen people, Israel, Hebrew children, which became the Jewish nation. It was just them that God focused his 99% of his attention on that group of people, the Jewish nation. But now, through this apostleship, through the Christ coming, dying, and resurrecting for all mankind, now the door has been opened up to all the Gentiles. And Paul is saying that we, you and I, can be brought in. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every race, every creed, can be brought in to obedience, to obedience in Jesus that comes through faith, that comes through faith. So important. We get this. Faith comes 
first. First comes faith, obedience to Jesus alone. We are obedient to Christ. Our faith is placed in Jesus. Our focus is first on him. It's all for him. And it's all for his name's sake. That's who it's for, his name's sake. It's all for Jesus. That's who it's for. For him comes from faith, for his name's sake, is what Paul says. It's all about Jesus first. And then he says in verse 6, you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You also. So he's talking to the Roman churches, mostly Gentiles, and he's talking to them. He's saying, you guys also. Okay, it was for the Jews, but you also now, you also are brought in. You are among the Gentiles who are called, called to come to Jesus. Notice he says, yea them, and yea us, by the way, yea you and me, because we're Gentiles and we have been allowed in as well. These Gentile churches in Rome are called, look, to belong, called among those Gentiles, called to belong to Jesus. That's so critical. It's critically important we understand this first. We are called to belong to Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus, not in anything about us. It's all about him. Our identity is in him. It's not about who I am, who I think I am, what I feel I am. It's not about how good I am or what sports I play or how much money I have or how business-like I could be. It has nothing to do with me. My identity is completely wrapped up in the fact that I belong to Jesus first and foremost. We're not called to do anything. We're called to belong to Jesus first through this gift of grace that God has given us in his son, Jesus. We simply grab onto him by faith and hope and trust and our response to Jesus and what God has given us in his son. And then, and only then, do I go and do good works or or go and live out the mission of Jesus that he came to live out on the earth. I, I now want to continue his mission now that I belong to him. And my belonging to him has to come first. It has to come first. Paul says in verse 8, For it is by grace, for it is by, uh, Paul said in Ephesians, I'm sorry, not this passage, in Ephesians chapter 2, another letter Paul wrote, he said this, For it is by grace that you have been saved, grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us, to do. And so Paul in Ephesians is urging them that the gift comes first, that we did nothing, that we are saved by grace and not by works. We are saved through our faith in the grace and not by anything that we do. Our attachment to Jesus is by faith as we respond to the gift of God that he's given us. And now 
that we've come into grace and into his love, we are his handiwork, that God is working on us. He's going to begin to chip away and perfect us in this fleshly body so that our spirit and our flesh are moving toward him. We are new creations in Jesus to go out and do God's work and do God's word in the world, to live it out, good works in the world. That's what we're to do. Grace comes first, our response comes next, and we must, we must respond. As, as people, we must respond to his grace. And there are three kinds of responses that you can make. You can go all in with Jesus, which is what he wants us to do, is respond to him with everything in us and fall on our face before him and let him be Lord and Savior of our life and be uh, washed in the, the, the burial of baptism with Christ and, and become a new creation in Jesus. That's one response. You, you could do that and you should do that. The second response is to simply ignore Jesus and, and, and reject Jesus. Just, just say no. You could say no. That is a response that you can make in your free will. You could say, no, I don't want Jesus in my life. I'm going to do it my way. I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of my destiny, and I will take the reins. So you could give the reins to God and let him control your life. You could keep the reins yourself and control it yourself, and you will get yourself nowhere. Nowhere beyond this planet. Nowhere. The third response is simply to just put it off, is to just simply say, not now. I will get to that some other time in my life. I will let Jesus come in when I'm older, when I'm about to die or something along those lines. And that is a dangerous place to be. To reject what you know God has done for you is not a smart move whatsoever. We must respond to this grace of God, this gospel message that God has given the world. There is different, there's a, this is, this is really the difference in between religion and relationship, okay? A lot of people belong to religion, okay? If you belong to Jesus, you belong to him in a relationship. This is not religion. This is not a bunch of do's and don'ts, Okay? Faith comes first, so our faith in his grace, in our love for him, our relationship with him comes first. In religion, that's not how it is. See, religion does to be loved. The mindset of religion is I do certain things and God will show favor on me for doing these things. Relationship says I am loved by God. I can do nothing to earn it. And now I will go and serve him. I will go and do. I want to be his servant because of what he's done for me. See, there's a horse and there's a cart. And when you put the horse before the cart, you put things in the proper order. When you put faith in the grace of God first, and then we do because of what he's done for us, we're putting things in the correct order. When you put your works and your, your actions, and you try to do things to earn God's favor, you are putting the cart ahead of the horse. And that's not the right order at all. John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, and he said these words. He said, we love because he first loved us. See, that's, it's all about my response to him. I love him because of his love 
for me. Simply put. Verse 7, Paul finally is going to get to his greeting. All right. He's established a number of things, right? He's established who he is. Paul, servant, apostle, set apart. He's also established who Jesus is, the son of God, the savior of the world. That's the gospel. That's him. And now Paul is going to bring in the readers, those who are going to get this letter and read it in the churches. And they're going to, they're going to be a part of what Paul is, is getting at in this letter. He says, to all, to all who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Let's just stop right there for a minute. To all of the followers that live in Rome. This is not to everyone who lives in Rome. This is to those who are believers in Jesus in Rome. These are the Christians that are living in the different churches. He is writing specifically with them in mind. Anyone who has put their faith in Jesus and are now part of the church that Jesus has established through the power of his Holy Spirit. These are Jews. These are Gentiles. These are people who have come together and love Christ. He says this to them. He says to all who are in, in Rome, first of all, he says loved by God. You see that loved by God. That is so important that that is what has happened. That God loves you. You've responded to this love. And now you are in this love. So much love, so much grace, so much mercy. He says, to all who are in the love of God, who are living in the love of God, you've made a conscious decision of your will to surrender yourself to God, to Jesus. You've come into his love. You accepted his grace, that free gift of grace. He says, you're loved. And then he says, secondly, he says, called to be his holy people. This is big. He's saying here what this word means. His holy people is saints. Called to be his saints. And we put, in a lot of religions, put a lot of emphasis on certain people who are saints and everyone else is just somewhere underneath them. That is not biblical concept whatsoever. Yes, is Paul special in his ministry? Yes. Peter in his ministry? Yes. Andrew, all the apostles? Yes. But they are no better than anyone else. When it comes to God's kingdom, there is only one person on a pedestal and his name is Jesus. And at the foot of the cross, the ground is completely level and Peter and Paul and Mary and you and me, the ground is level there and we're all on the same boat. We're all sinners saved by the grace of the one who is on the pedestal. And so he says, when you come into his love and he washes you clean and you're saved by his grace, you become part of his holy people. You are now a saint, which means a child of the king. You are one of his, his possessions, a chosen possession of God's. You, are now, you now belong to him. You are saved. You are consecrated. You are set apart from the rest of the world, not to be like the world, not to act like the world, not to sin like the world, but to come apart from that and be one of God's chosen people to live like a child of the king while you are continue to live here on this earth. He's writing to those who are his holy people, those who are aiming for excellence in their life, those who are striving to live in perfection, 
knowing they're not always going to hit it, but they're aiming for it all the time. And then he says this, and we're going to end with this. He says right here at the end, grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is so good. Grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is like, this is like Paul giving us a greeting from heaven. If you look at most of Paul's writings, at the beginning of his letter, somewhere in the first chapter, you're going to see a greeting similar to this. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, or something similar to that. You'll see that. If you look through uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, look at the beginning of all those letters, you'll see it. It's there. So it's a typical salutation that Paul gives. May, may God... May God and Jesus look favorably on you. May they bless you and, and shine on you. It's a greeting from heaven that Paul gives the churches and the Christians. And, and here's the part that I love the most. And we're done. He uses these two words, grace and peace. Grace and peace. I mean, just think of those two words. Just maybe close your eyes and... Just think of those two words, grace and peace. They're beautiful words. They're powerful words. They're, they're words that, that really only can come from God or they originate in God himself. Grace is like what he's done for you and me. He sent his son, Jesus. We have this beautiful gospel that we can come into and accept and find salvation and rescue. I did nothing for that. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it. I don't deserve it. I deserve the death sentence. I deserve to die and go to hell. That's what I deserve. What a wretched, wretched man I am. That's what I deserve. But his grace is so great that he would love me even in my sin. He would love me and you. See, grace, grace is what you and I get from above. God showers you. He lavishes. He pours out his grace for you. It's available right there for you. You can have it if you want. You have to respond to his grace, but it's there. It's free. You can have it if you want it. Peace, peace, on the other hand, is what I get once I have grace. See, grace comes from above to me. Peace is what God is doing in me. And when I have grace, I will have peace. When I put my mind on the grace, there will be peace. If I put my mind on the storm like Peter did on walking on water, I'm going to sink. If I put my mind and my eyes on the stuff of this world that is bad and evil and wicked... And I, and I get caught up in it and pulled in its direction. I will not have peace. But if I'll put my heart and my mind on the grace given me from above, then what will follow from within is the peace of God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful chapter. And we just began to scratch the first like eight verses, seven verses. There's so much more good stuff. 
Read the chapter. Just read the chapter and, and get, a, get a hold of, of how great the grace is. Because what you're going to see in the second half of the chapter is how great the sin is. Which then magnifies even greater for you and me how great his grace is. That he would offer forgiveness for the wickedness and the sinfulness of, of humanity. I would urge you to come into the gospel if you haven't. Accept the gospel of Jesus, the good news of who he is and what he's done for you. Don't put it off. Don't ignore it. Just go all in with what God has done for you. You guys have a great week and um, we'll see you next time.